1: Uh, so I'm here today with Michael Hoag. Uh, I'm Dallas Davidson, and today we're going to talk about uh, the, an idea of Michael's, which is to drive a fifteen thousand dollar car and draw seven hundred and seventeen thousand dollars of extra income in retirement. So it, it sounds a bit like a, like an
0: infomercial, but I'll I'll let Michael run you through uh, how this how this works. It's a very specific title, isn't it? So the premises, and we hear this quite a lot. I've turned 50, I've risen to that stage in my working career, I've, if not raised children that have flown the coupe just yeah. yet, they're, they're almost there, and I deserve to drive a nice car. Yeah. And maybe that's the case. Yeah. But we actually know from experience that most people uh, finance new and expensive cars, so the more expensive the car, um, the, the, the higher probability it's being financed. Yeah. We also know that... that it's an average, but it costs somewhere in the vicinity of $1,250 per month in finance costs or about $15,000 per year in repayments yeah. on a, a, a new and expensive car. Um, what we hear from that is that, hey, it's tax-deductible to me though, because I yeah, use it for yeah, business purposes. Yeah, <laughs> so so um, a couple of things there. I mean, tax-deductible doesn't make it free. It means you're getting a percentage of your outlay back. Yeah. Um, and the second one is with any decision that you can make, there is an alternative. That's what we want to look at today. So yeah, the, the alternative is, in this example, is that instead of driving an expensive car for the last 15 years of your working life, yeah. you would pay cash for a $15,000 car and you drive that car for the last 15 years of your working life. Now, full disclosure kit. I used to drive an expensive car. I was just about to pull you up on that, but where you go. (laughs) Full disclosure, I drove an expensive car. Um, We then had uh, two children and I I figured that they were just going to wreck the the car anyway. So I started looking around and I looked around and I bought a $15,000 car and the car has got leather seats. It's done 48,000 kilometres, so it was quite new. It was a, a Ford Falcon, so it was big enough. And I've driven that car for the last three years of my life, and it's had very little problems. And it got me to thinking it got me to thinking about the difference here in what the alternatives are. So that's Sorry, that's a good point that you make there, Mike, because you know,
1: like you said, there's certain things that we hear a lot of, which is, uh, you know, I've, I've reached this point where I've you know, raised kids where I deserve to drive a nice car. The other one we hear, which, again, I'm not arguing about whether that is, is true or not, but... Uh, the other one we hear is, well, it's tax deductible. And then the last one that I hear all the time, um, which makes me pull my hair out, which is not good because I'm going bald early as it is, So, is that buying a used car is going to cost me more over the long run because of the extra maintenance costs. And, and like you know, I've, I've driven old cars all my life, and I just haven't. Either I've been extremely lucky, or, or I just don't know if that's true, that those maintenance costs are, are as much as what people potentially think. You can probably answer that one as well. I can tell you
0: it never costs you what you were going to pay in repayments mm. on the new and expensive car. So people people tend to build an argument around their decision. So they say, I want to drive a Lexus. Yeah. Um, and they build an argument around that. It, and this is true of decision-making everywhere, isn't yeah, it? So exactly. so they say, well, it's only going to cost it's me... The, the confirmation bias. The confirmation it? bias. It's only going to cost me 1250 per month. In fact, hey, it's not even going to cost me that. It's going to cost me about... Yeah, seven hundred per month because it's tax deductible, yeah. so get some of that twelve hundred and fifty back. Um, it's just a little bit each each month. Yeah. However, we you pointed this out to me before. You see, you see what's there. You don't see what's not there. So, to, what I want to talk about is what's not there. So the alternative is that you pay cash for a car, yeah. and you take the what you were going to make in fifteen thousand dollar per annum repayments. And you put that money into your superannuation fund for the last fifteen years of your working life. Now that too is tax deductible for most people, uh, which is which is nice. But um, we can assume that for most people they would be able to, uh, with what their employer puts into their superannuation fund, if assuming that's less than ten thousand dollars per year, they would be able to put fifteen thousand dollars into their. Superannuation fund each year, claim that as a tax deduction, and sneak under the twenty five thousand dollars cap. Um, they they contribute fifteen thousand dollars per, per annum to their superannuation fund, and that compounds out, um, assuming an eight percent before tax return, which would be a six point eight percent return after tax. In super accumulation phase, they retire with an extra three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in super by age 65. Yeah. Now, um, that's staggering enough, however, part B of this is is really where it becomes staggering. Um, What they can now do, with that extra $315,000 in their superannuation, by the day that they retire, they can now draw $30,000 of extra income uh, each and every year, assuming they get that same 8% rate of return, um, and they can do it for a period of time of 24 years before that money runs out, before the extra $315,000 runs yeah. out. So you now have a decision to make. And the decision is, is the new car smell worth an overseas holiday each and every year yeah. of my retirement? Or is the new car smell worth yeah. you know, whatever you want to do with that extra $30,000 of retirement? Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, accumulating that extra $315,000, I'll just back up a little bit, so you, instead of financing a car for the, for the last 15 years of your working life, in this example, this person's age 50, they put $15,000 extra into their superannuation fund each and every year. Yeah. Hey, they claim it as a tax deduction too, um, we're assuming here. So, so they, for most people, that would mean that they would, their tax return would, would boost by an average of $5,000 yep. per, per year as well. Um, they get to an extra $315,000 by the time they hit 65 in their superannuation fund by that, assuming that rate of return. They can now flick the switch and turn their superannuation into what's called an account-based pension, which is 0% tax on the earnings. What that means is that their 8% rate of return is both before and after tax. So they don't lose any money in that rate of return. Now, an 8% rate of return on $315,000 is, um, is $25,000 in the first year of their retirement. So we're assuming that they draw $30,000 yeah. of extra income. but the f- The mere fact that they have accumulated an extra three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars means that the fund, in this example, has earned, it's earned them twenty five thousand dollars. They've only gone backwards by five thousand dollars in that first year. Yeah. They rinse and repeat that yeah. over the next twenty four years, and what happens is that they can draw an extra thirty thousand dollars a year in income for the first twenty three years of their retirement, and an additional. Um, uh, uh, Twenty-seven thousand dollars in the in the final year, which gives them a total of seven hundred and seventeen thousand yeah. dollars of additional income that they've been able to draw over, um, yeah, the, the the first twenty-four years of their retirement. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh,
1: like I say, it's almost it's uh, it's an amount of money that's almost hard to get your head around, and I, I think that ties into like we've we've said before is that most people understand the concept of putting money aside for retirement. So putting $15,000 a year before tax away, most people can, can kind of see how that would grow their super balance by an extra 315,000. And so you, you kind of, if you make just that trade off, you look at it and go, well, yes, it's another 315,000, but I've, I've got to drive a, a cheap car for the next 15 years. So whether or not that is enough to, to trigger that, that decision there. But it really is that next step that I think I tend to find that people really struggle with the understanding that $315,000 extra in your super fund, it, it's not, it's not $315,000 that sits there and you just spend that down over time. So it's not that you're spending $315,000. You're drawing out of that $315,000. However, that money is getting a return every year. So that's where it can kind of be hard to, hard to comprehend. But by putting aside that $315,000, you effectively get to draw $717,000. So over those few steps, you know, a bit of money every year, building up to three hundred and fifteen thousand to then build into seven hundred and seventeen thousand dollars worth of extra income, it it sounds a bit unbelievable, but it's just the the value of compounding over time and that investment return. So I I can promise I've just checked his numbers, it's all true, It, it stacks up, it makes sense.
0: That's good to know. Um so, yeah, look, it, it, it really did surprise me as well. I mean, it's the strategies that we've been working on with people, but to look at these numbers over that time frame, and, and many of you listening will be around that 50 years of age because it's, it's around then that people tend to start getting interested in their retirement planning. Yeah. And it just goes to show that that yeah, you know, with every decision, and this is true of every decision, not just financial ones, you, you really need to look at um, what the trade-offs are yeah. because financial planning is all about trade-offs. Um, can I give up some now for a lot more later yeah. um, and getting that balance right? This is a reasonably easy one for us. Um, well, it is for me, I should point out. So so when I drive around in my $15,000 yeah. uh, Ford, 2010 Ford Falcon, um, I'm not sitting in there thinking, geez, I wish I was driving a Lexus. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just driving around in my car. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably spend I spend a, a less a lower amount of time than most people. I was going to put you up. You do <laughs> live three hundred meters from the office. I, do, so. I, I don't I don't have a long commute from the office to home. Um, however, uh, even if I did, I mean, even if you have a long commute, add up the time of your working week that you sp- or, or, not your working week of your entire week or your entire year that you it's spend in your car. car. I'm going to guess it's around five percent. Yeah, for most people, it's around five percent of their um, uh, of their time for the year is spent in their car but we often see a mismatch then of someone then paying 15% of their wage towards, towards, that, towards that vehicle yeah. um, uh, so that it's, it gets out of whack in in, in, in many respects in that yeah. situation but certainly look at the trade-offs in any decision that you make look at the alternative decisions Yeah, I, th- I think that's um, sort of jump in there, Mike. but that—that's what you. The point you made before, and I've
1: said this before a number of times, and I sort of get funny looks from people. But we see what's there; we don't see what's not there, and that's just the way our brain works. Is if we buy that new car, we're driving that new car. We see the new car, but we don't see what else we could have had instead. It's really hard for for human beings to see those things, and to bring it back to a, a concrete. Uh, amount and a figure like this is something that makes you think about the alternatives and those trade-offs of if I don't do this what else can I do instead and that's really what good financial planning is about is is, it's not about um, it's not about us deciding what you should or you shouldn't do it's purely around uh, helping people understand what the what the consequences of those decisions are and and you may well look at this and go Hey, I drive a lot, and I really, I'm really into cars. I really, I really love having a nice new car, and I've decided that, you know, I'm, I'm going to find fifteen thousand dollars a year from somewhere else. I'll save money from elsewhere, and I'll use that money to make contributions in the super. And that's, that's again, that's something where we can't make that decision for you. It's just about, this is a concrete example of one that, people tend to do without, uh, without. Really understanding the the outcome that that's going to lead to.
0: We are certainly fine with with people making informed decisions. So, yeah. a big and exciting part of what we do for our clients is to help them make those decisions. Yeah. And and um, it, it's it's really interesting when you go through and decide what's more important yeah. to you. So. Like Dallas, you said uh, some people will make then an informed decision that they would rather drive the nice car now, and they can shave in other areas, or they may already be on track to, to where they need to be anyway. Um, if if you're not on track, though, if it's a really good first place to look, yeah, because because
1: yeah, and that, that's one that we see a lot where uh, when you're looking at a budget with someone, um, I actually have started doing a thing where I basically sort everyone's expenses by the biggest to the last because. We end, having, we end up having a debate with uh, couples are arguing amongst themselves about whether they spend $320 or $340 a week on groceries, and then it becomes an argument one of them buys black and gold and one of them doesn't, and I'm caught in the middle, where really that doesn't matter. It's those big decisions that are going to carry all the freight. So this is an example of something that, for many people, doesn't seem like a big, a big decision of just, oh, well, I needed a car, so I just went and got a new car because I can afford it. Mm. It's it's very easy to do that, and and the cultural society that we live in, which is, uh, you know, relatively easy finance all those types of things, mm-hmm. it sort of guides us down that path of well, this is an easy decision to make. I'll just yeah, I'll just get the new car, then I don't have to worry about it. Or mm-hmm. I've got you know five years of capped price servicing, or I've got um, you know cheap finance, or I've got whatever it is. It's very easy to back away into to making that feel like the right decision. So, as we've said having to sit down and think about what what else you could be doing with that money is a very important way to to really be concrete about what am I trading off
0: what what else could I be doing there it's a great point point. I think you need to you also need to look at your point before not the not the capital amount that you end up with so not the 315,000 yeah. it's the how much better could my retirement be yeah. by taking an extra $30,000 yeah. each and every year yeah. of my retirement and yeah. um, you know, what could I do with that money? Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's, really the, that's really the crux of the decision-making yeah. process. And that,
1: that I guess, um, ties in your point there about deciding what is important. You know, financial planning is about, uh, to some degree, delayed gratification. And so even if, even if cars are very important for you, this could well be something where you say, okay, I'm 50 now, I'm working full-time, I don't really have the time to be tinkering with cars and playing around with all these things. Even if you say, cars are really important to me, this is a decision you could make where you go, okay, I'm not gonna drive a new car, I'm not gonna have the new car smell for 15 years, but what that's gonna allow me to do is spend twice as much money every year for 24 years compared to, compared to 15 years. And that may be a decision where you go, that is the difference between a, a, a retirement that I'm excited for and looking forward to, and it's gonna give me something to do and focus on in retirement versus I'm going to spend all this money now on something that I'm not really going to get to enjoy that much because I'm, I'm working a lot and I'm busy for the next 15 years.
0: It's a very good way to look at it. So wrapping up, um, what I would say in wrapping up is certainly every decision you make, look at the trade-offs, um, look at what may be the alternative decision. So um, if I did this, I'll get this, but what if I took that money and did something else with that? And ultimately decide what is more important because that's a true informed decision. That's exactly right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Money Over 50 podcast with Lighthouse Financial Advisors. We look forward to catching up again soon.